um, we're being recorded, but your your video will not show on the your your face will not show on the recording, only audio. Um, so uh, glad to see everybody here this evening. Um, glad to see everybody safe and sound. Uh, it's good we didn't do the class last night. My electricity flickered a couple times, which would mean we'd all be booted off a couple times. Wouldn't be very fun. Um, um, so. I want to make. I want to dedicate this class. Uh, nobody sponsored this class. I just want to make a dedication to two people who need a refuah shalema. One is a rabbi that I studied under for many years in uh, New York, Rabbi Moshe Bagamilski. His Hebrew name is Moshe Ben Chasia Hadasa. He should have a refuah shalema. And uh, also for those who know uh, Nachum Fox, so uh, Nachum Yaakov Ben Miriam, he should have a refuah shalema. Uh, Mamash, both of them in the hospital, need a refuah lema. All right, so tonight's class, as I was telling uh, those who were on before, I am very excited about the idea. I'm not so excited about, uh, although at the same time, I feel it is a very difficult concept. So I'm just going to give you fair warning is that the top, you know, like I said, if I would have written the course, I wouldn't have touched this story. I mean, the questions are important and great. The thing is, the idea can be very deep and uh, so what I told everybody before is the relate is the questions and answers you may not fully get, but the idea that we're going to share is powerful, very relevant in our lives in a couple ways. And so the idea you're definitely going to catch on. Uh, be aware the questions and answers are going to be a little harder than the last two weeks. Don't let that dishearten you uh, from future classes. It just happens to be a deep concept. And like I said, I wouldn't have picked this specific story, but they went with it. Uh, maybe because the idea behind it is really beautiful and so important in our life. Um, so just as all the previous classes, we're going to have six steps. First step is I tell a couple of bad jokes. Uh, step number two is we start with a story. Step number three, we go with the questions. Step number four, we go with the Kabbalistic or cosmic idea. Step number five, uh, we show how that applies to our life. And then step number six, we're going to answer all the questions. Um, so uh, today's story is about Jacob and Esau, the two twins, the epic struggle of the battle of famous twins in the Torah. So here are my jokes. What do you call twins? What do you call twins? Roommates. Roommates. Okay. All right. That's a bad one. Only gets worse from there. All right, uh, so one twin calls his brother from jail and he says, you know how we finish each other's sentences? All right, that one was actually better in my opinion. Okay, um, so that being said, there you got your twin jokes and I only put out two of them um, and they're both equally not funny. All right, so uh, what's so before we get into the story of Yaakov and Esav or Jacob and Esau, as we will call them throughout the class. So again, if you know the Hebrew Yaakov and Esav, we will call them Jacob and Esau. Uh, we have to understand the story first. So we're going to take a look at the text. I'm going to share it on the screen. If you have the book, you can take a look at page 78. In order to really question a story, we have to really know the story. Um, so let's take a look over here at, um, text number. I'm just, uh, spreading this out so I can see more of the videos. 
Uh, you can also, by the way, pop anything into the chat. Um, the chat will be on uh, and available. Um, just opening up all my boxes over here. Okay. Um, so let's take a look at the story. We're going to read the story. So my job is I'm going to read the story. And your job is to think of questions as I read the story. Okay. So let's start over here. This is from Genesis uh, chapter 25, verse 22. So we start off like this. Uh, well, before the verses, it tells us how uh, Rebecca and Isaac, these are the parents of the two twins. So Rebecca and Isaac had trouble having kids. Eventually they prayed to God and they were blessed and she was blessed with a pregnancy. However, the pregnancy was very, very difficult. And so this is what it says. The children struggled within her and she said, if so, why am I thus? What she means is like, why did I pray for this? It's not what I bargained for. And she went to inquire of God. Now, when she says she went to inquire of God, it means she went to the prophet. God said to her, two nations are in your womb and two kingdoms from inside will diverge. Kingdom will overpower kingdom and the elder will serve the younger. Her days to give birth were fulfilled and behold, there were twins in her womb. The first one came out ruddy, his entirety as hairy as a his entirety as a hairy mantle, and they called his name Esau. After that, his brother came out, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel, and he called his name Jacob. The lads grew up. Esau was a man who knows the game, a man of the field, and Jacob was a man of wholesome, was a wholesome man, a dweller of tents. Dweller of tents means he was studious. Isaac loved Esau for the game in his mouth, and Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so before we go to the next text, I want to open this up to questions. These texts, um, any questions on these texts? Anything uh, strikes you? Doesn't have to be a serious question, just something to note, something that just could use some uh, explanation of any type of sort. No? It's all, as I like to say, it's either all clear as day or clear as mud. Um, you can unmute yourself. So nothing, nothing, nothing so far bothers you over here. Why does uh, Jacob, or why does um, Isaac like the uh, food more than the, you know, the studier? Good, good. All right, great question. Yep, yep. Uh, hoping somebody would ask that. Why, uh, if uh, Isaac is a spiritual guy, why would he like his son Esau, who was a hunter, more than his son? Jacob, who was a uh, study study guy, why would he like the hunter more? I mean, to say that he liked good food, that would be placing Isaac in not such a good light. We understand that Jacob was a special person. So what does he like about the hunting? Um, I could also add on to that question, why in general the favoritism? I mean, we know the Torah favoritism has never worked. I mean, we see it more in the next story we're going to explore, which is Joseph and his brothers. But why, why, the, why, the, why the need for favoritism? Why, is the, why do they feel a need to favor each other um, at all? Shouldn't you love your kids equally? All right, any other questions? Um, can, can, yeah. can you hear me, Rabbi? Yes, I can hear you. I, I just would like to know why you said she went to the prophets when she asked God. Why wouldn't she pray to God directly? Um, why wouldn't she pray to God directly? Good question. Or why wouldn't she even go to, uh, 
well, uh, maybe she didn't say she went to the prospect. Does it? Just yeah, it doesn't say in the verse. Um, but that is the uh, that's the commentary. I'm just giving you the the accepted uh, Jewish commentary. Uh, regardless which way you take it, it doesn't change the general meaning. God communicated yeah. to her. God communicated. To her. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, in general, that she went to a prophet and not to a doctor, right? If you're having pain in your stomach, <laughs> uh, when people are having a rough pregnancy, they don't usually call me first. They usually go to the doctor. So <laughs> she went to the doctor. So actually, the sages say she had, uh, when she would walk by a synagogue, you know, one kid would start moving. And when she'd walk by uh, idol worship, another kid would start moving. And she got confused. <laughs> what is her kid confused? Uh, but it's interesting that uh, already in the stomach, there's this epic battle going on. This epic battle starts from pregnancy, and that's something we'll explore later. It was so bad that she was complaining, you know, and, and the prophet tells her that, um, and the prophet tells her, you have two nations in your room. He doesn't just say you have two different opinions, you know, two different characters in your room. You have two nations. It's an interesting uh, thing, and, and the fact that the Torah tells us there has to be a lot to that idea that there's two nations. Okay. Um, nobody else has any other questions. We'll move on to the next part. Okay. So now I've muted everybody again. We'll move on to text number two. Now we'll get to the blessings. So it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dimmed of sight. Uh, and he called his elder son Esau and he said to him, here, please, I have grown old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, please pick up your implement, your sword and your bow, and go out to the field and trap game for me. Make for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me, and I will eat, in order that my soul should bless you before I die. Rebecca was listening. As Isaac spoke to his son Esau, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, listen to my voice, to that which I'm commanding you. Go now to the flock and take for me from there two goodly goat kids. And I will prepare them as delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you, you will bring them to your father and he will thus eat. In order that he should bless you before his death, Jacob said to his mother, Rebecca, here, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I will be in his eyes as a trickster. And I will bring upon myself a curse, and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, your curse is upon me, my son. Only listen to my voice and go take for me. Rebecca took the desirable garments of her son Esau and she dressed her younger son Jacob and she dressed the goat kid skins on his hands and upon the smoothness of his neck. He came to his father and he said, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Isaac said to Jacob, please approach and I will feel you, my son. Are you this, my son Esau or not? Jacob approached his father and he felt him and he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. The hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were as the hands of his brother Esau, hairy, and he blessed him. God shall give you the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth and the abundance of grain and wine. Nations will serve you and kingdoms will bow to you. You shall be a master over your brothers and your mother's sons shall bow to you. Those who cursed you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. All right. Any questions or comments on these verses over here? It's a lot, it's a lot to uh, digest. Yes, Leslie. Well, I mean... <laughs> I, Rebecca certainly uh, has a deed to be done. You know, she's not going to be stopped. Mm -hmm. To deceive her dying husband is not kosher. 
Yeah, it sounds kind of strange that she's trying to deceive her husband. I mean, we especially since we know a Jewish wives are very persuasive. So she couldn't find another mean than tricking her husband. She couldn't go talk to him, right? Yeah, and why, and why would God accept this? You know, it's a deception. It's a deception. Why would the blessing even work if it's a deception, right? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, what's, what's, what's going on over here? Mm-hmm. Um, other things you can... So, and the fact that we as Jewish people, it almost seems like we, we're only Jewish because we deceived. Like, otherwise the blessing would have gone to the other kid. Also, it's interesting if you look in the blessings, like, you know, and your mother's son shall bow to you. He's giving him all the goodness of the earth. It's it's an interesting blessing to give. You know, it's one thing to, and if, especially if you thought he was giving it to Esau, it's one thing if you like one kid over the other, but then to give blessings and say, and you'll be the king and he'll he'll serve you. Like what what's 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 going on over here? What's the uh, what's the idea behind that? Um. The other thing is, yeah, yeah, and, and she's, she's taking advantage of the fact that he's, he's blind. It's not nice. And Isaac himself lies. I mean, look at him. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So um, some of the commentaries say, oh, he was telling a white lie. He said, I am, as an I'm Jacob, Esau is your firstborn. But come on, you know, it's... Uh, all right, any, any other questions? Uh, no, okay, all right. Um, point out some others. Um, why is there this hyper-focus on older and younger sons? Um, it says, um, Rebecca took the desirable garment of her elder son, Esau. Could have said she took the garment of Esau and she dressed her younger son, Jacob. And could have said she, she dressed her son, Jacob. Why the focus on that? Um, but Rabbi, yes. what, what, wasn't already Jake, Yaakov? Yaakov already bought the, 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 um, the, the firstborn, the right of the firstborn. The right of the firstborn. Yeah. That's so a great. That's another great question. He already bought the first <laughs> Right, right. In other words, he, he already bought it. Yeah. Um, years ago, his brother sold it to him. So why would he? Why couldn't he rightfully come and claim it? But you know what? That brings me to the next question that I want to bring out, and that is that did like was there really only this one blessing, and only if you get that blessing? Uh, you know, you miss out on everything else. Um, so let's take a look at next text. It's on page, um, sorry, because I'm doing this class a little bit out of order because I feel that it's better. Okay, so take a look at page 90 if you're in the student book. Uh, let's take a look at the, at the final text. So, so far in the story, uh, we have the older brother, younger brother, Rebecca likes the younger one, uh, Jacob. Um, and uh, Isaac likes the older son Esau. Uh, so far, Jacob has stolen the blessing. All right, and now we continue in the story. And it was just as Jacob was going off in the presence of his father that his brother Esau came from his hunt. And he said to his father, my father should get up and eat of the game of his son in order that your soul should bless me. Oh yeah, that was another question I was gonna say. Not only does he love him because of the food, but even when he gives the blessing, you need to bring food before you get blessed. Interesting thing. 
Anyways, and as father, you, you'd think like before you get a, a blessing from God, you should maybe uh, study some Torah, do a mitzvah or something. Like you gotta gotta bring me a good meal. I mean, it's not like uh, he's on death row or something over here. You know, like what's what's the story? And his father Isaac said to him, "Who are you?" And he said, "I am your firstborn son, Esau." Isaac trembled in exceedingly great trembling, and he said. Who then is the one who trapped game and brought it all to me and I ate of all of it before you had come and I blessed him? Also blessed shall he be. So by the way, first here you already see, even though it was for trickery, he already conceded that whatever blessings he gave away are given away already. Whatever Jacob has is taken. Um, uh, okay. And Esau heard the words of his father. He cried an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me too, my father. And he said, your brother came with cunning and took your blessing. And he said, is this why his name is called Jacob? Twice he has deceived me. He took my birthright. And here now he has taken my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? Isaac answered, he said to Esau, here I've placed a master to you and all his brothers I've given to him as servants. And with grain and wine, I've supported him. And for you then, what shall I do, my son? Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, my father. And Esau raised his voice and wept. And his father Isaac answered him, and he said, Here the fat of the land will be your settlement, and of the dew of the heavens above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you will serve. And it will be that when you are aggrieved, you will cast off his yoke from upon your neck. So, so far, he pretty much said, I'm out of blessings. I'm, I'm going to grasp at some strings to give you some other blessings. So you'll also have a good time in life. But he didn't make him the master of the heavens and the earth. He just said, you'll also have the dew of the earth. Now, let's read the end. Isaac called Jacob and he blessed him. So this is before Jacob went on his final trip, before he was going to leave town, before his brother killed him. And he instructed him, he said, Arise and go to Padan Aram, take yourself a wife from there, from the daughters of Laban, your brother's mother, and the Almighty will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and you will become a community of peoples. And he will grant you the blessing of Abraham to you and your seed with you to inherit you the land of your dwelling, which God has given you to Abraham. What's going on over here? Jacob walked in to get, quote unquote, the final blessing. Esau walked in, begged his father for some type of blessing, and his father gave him a few morsels. And after all of that, Jacob is called back into Isaac, and now Isaac gives him a blessing, and this blessing seems to be an even better blessing. He's giving you, make you fruitful and multiply. I give you the blessing of Abraham. You'll inherit the land. So what does he mean he didn't have any blessings left? He seems to have plenty of blessings more to give Jacob. So what's this other blessing that was this whole debate over that that Jacob stole and apparently there's no other blessings when we see clearly there's more blessings left what what what's going on everybody follows with this question it's one of the strange strange things I always wondered is that first he blesses the, the younger brother then the older brother comes and says I have nothing left why would he have to call him back in to give him more blessings what's going on yes Sylvia Yes, Sylvia. Uh, I can't. I can't hear you. You might have to put it in the chat. Okay. Yes. It seems to me that the bracha that he gave Yitzchak is a bracha more spiritual. Um, this one. This one you're saying, the one over here. Yeah, but in general, the bracha that he tell, he gives Yaakov is a kol kol shel Yaakov, the blessing of Abraham. And to Esav, he gives ayadaim. Everything is materialistic. All right. So, so you're on to something. What you're saying is it seems like he's given Jacob material, sp spiritual blessings, especially if you read this one. 
Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, multiply, be community of peoples, grant you blessing of Abraham for you and your seed, inherit the land, yeah. which is obviously yeah. spiritual. So it seems he's giving him the spiritual blessings. But the original blessing that he gives Jacob is also physical. Let's take a look. Um, let's take a look over here. Um, okay, here is the original blessing he gave him. God shall give you the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth and the abundance of grain and wine. Nations will serve you and kingdoms will bow to you. You will be a master of your brothers and your mother's son shall bow to you. Those who curse you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. So to begin with, he gives him very physical blessings. I give you the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth. In fact, the commentaries explain when Esau came and asked for blessings, he said, I'll give you a blessing, but whatever blessing I'll give you will belong to your brother because you're going to be a slave to your brother. Whatever you have will belong to him ultimately. And so ultimately, as the commentaries explain, the blessings that Esau gets are only blessings he gets when the Jewish people sin. Rabbi, is that yes. what we read? What we read on the yes. we read that every every Saturday oh. night. God oh. shall give you the, the, the fat of the earth and the abundance of the grain of the wine. So you're right. So, so one second. So let me let me just say. So you did you did find something correct. That's now I'm applying it for what you said. The first blessing he gives him is very material. The second blessing he gives him is very spiritual. And as we will develop in the class, is that the spiritual blessing was always going to go to Jacob. It wasn't something was, that was up for grabs. That's why even after he finished giving the blessings, he called Jacob back in and gave him those blessings. Because those spiritual blessings were always going to go to him. You know, you can ask the question, if Jacob hadn't stolen the blessings, would Esau's kids be the Jewish people? And the answer is no. We would still be the Jewish people, but something would be different. We would still have the blessing of Abraham. He was always going to give that to us. As you see, in the original blessing he gave to Jacob, which he thought he was giving to Esau, he didn't give him the blessing of being the children, the blessing of Abraham. So it's an interesting story here. This whole debate over the blessings, what blessing is it that they're fighting over that has to be stolen away through trickery and, and that Jacob and that uh, Isaac wanted to give it because his son was a hunter. Something, something strange with this story. You know, you already see with the blessing, something's really strange. Is everybody following? That's a little complicated, yes? Okay. Yes, the thing so. that cr crossed my mind is um, Perhaps Isaac really wanted to give Jacob the blessing all along, but he felt obligated to give it to the firstborn. So maybe he wasn't tricked at all. Maybe that's really what he wanted to do. And, and his excuse was to, in effect, act like he had been tricked. So I, I would say that if not for the fact that the Torah says clearly that he loved uh, Esau. The Torah makes it clear that he had a specific, it seems like he had a reason he wanted to give it to Esau. And the Torah's reason sounds strange. I'll admit that. It says he loved him because of his game, because he was a hunter, which is something we're going to explain. But it seems that he actually had a reason to give it to Esau, um, which we'll have to understand why. Any, any other thoughts, anybody? I don't, want to put, I don't want to put anybody to sleep over here. Okay, so let us... I know you have too many questions. Uh, it gets it gets confusing. So I'm going to stop sharing the screen because sometimes that wakes people up. You see you see a full a full screen of me. Um, should I share another joke? Okay. So 
let us summarize some of the main questions that we have tonight. Question number one is, of course, why did, uh, why did Isaac favor Esau? Was he so easily fooled? And uh, why couldn't Rebecca talk to her husband? Why did she have to trick him? What's the significance that he loved him because he was a hunter? And not only that, when he was going to give him the blessing, he, he was only going to give him the blessing after he had some of the hunted food, which is also interesting. Uh, in addition to that, um, what's the whole um, meaning of this blessing that seems to be, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting blessing. What's, it's obviously not the blessing of the Jewish people. It's not the blessing of Abraham. So what is the idea behind this blessing and why did he specifically want to give it to Esau? And uh, finally, we'll get to what is the idea of these warring kingdoms and that there's, it's not just that they're warring kingdoms as it says in the prophet, but even, even in the blessings, there seems to be this idea that one has to be a slave to the other. There seems to be this dichotomy that one has to be a master over the other. Always, you know, why can't they just both be kingdoms that live their own separate lives? Why is there this talk all through the scripture over here that when this one rises, that one falls. When that one falls, that one rises. Even when, when uh, Isaac blesses Jacob, he says, you'll, you'll be on top when your brother sins, pretty much. That's what he says. What's, what's going on over here? And a final question, this is more of a technical question, which usually is not a question you'd ask, but it goes like this. If Jacob is the better child, theoretically, why is he not born first? Uh, in fact, we see he was fighting to be born first. Why is he called Jacob? He was holding on to the heel. He, he was trying to be born first. And it ended up, he was just pulled out of the, the, the pulled, pulled out by just grabbing onto his brother. But it seems that there was this serious war to be born first. But nevertheless, Esau was born first. Why is Esau born first? And it seems like the fact that he's born first, that there is something special about him. So, um, okay. So first, I'm just going to point out that um, there are there are uh, simple ways of of explaining um, this these two battling kingdoms, and I'm just going to share you those more simple ways before we get to the general answer that answers all of our questions, just because those are important points that are mentioned by all commentaries. So this discussion of the battling and warring brothers historically refers to Rome and Judea. Uh, Jacob, being the prognate of the Jewish people, is Judea. And Esau is otherwise known as Edom, which is the Roman Empire. And as we know, uh, the Judean Empire and the Roman Empire fought for many, many years. And not only that, the Roman Empire is what we believe today to really have the largest influence on Western society. And so truthfully, you see this battle between the two kingdoms throughout history playing itself out both as a physical war, but now also as an ideological war. Uh, we had a whole course last year speaking about Judaism's gifts to the world, how Judaism has brought in so many values and, and so much morality into the world, whereas Roman values a lot of times is, is about grandeur, greatness, self-aggrandizement. And so this is just one short lesson you can take in your life is uh, we always have that battle in our life. Are we going to listen to our more uh, Judean influence or our more Roman influence? That's just on a, on a simple level which comes out in our daily life, as you see over here, materialism or spirituality. Uh, that's in your external actions. And internally, um, are you going to focus on self 
or are you going to focus on self-transcendence? So that's just, um, just a little taste, just to give you a general idea. But tonight, and you can ignore everything I said if it confuses you, but that's just a nice general idea. Tonight, we're going to discuss the cosmic reality of Esau and Jacob, and that is something called tohu and tikkun, what I called last week chaos and process, or light and vessels. So we're going to develop this right now. We're going to develop this idea, and it's not a simple idea by any means, but we're not going to get to the depth of the idea, which is why we may not fully understand how it answers all our questions, but you will see a lot of relevance uh, from this in your life. So, um, let's put it this way. So again, we're, we're kind of following like, like previous classes where we have lots of questions and then we present the cosmic idea. That cosmic idea has a lot of relevance in our life and it plays out within the story of the Bible. So now I'm gonna present to you this cosmic idea. Um, so if you look in at text number four, it talks about a place called Tohu and Tikkun. Um, tohu and Tikkun, which I will call chaos and, and, uh, and process, or otherwise known as light and vessels. So what is the idea of Tohu and Tikkun? The idea is, uh, let's, let's first start with light and vessels. So uh, let's say you have uh, the light is like the energy, the vessel is the container. So let's say you have a cup, uh, you, want, you want to fill it with water, right? So the water is the energy, the water is the useful thing that you need, but you need something to hold on to it. You cannot drink water without a container, you need a cup. Um, so you have uh, a cup of water, you fill it up in the faucet, but sometimes the light can be too much for the vessel the energy can be too much for the container. For example, if you were to fill up a cup with a fire hydrant or with a fire hose, your uh, cup is going to explode. Or conversely, if you uh, try and give my, my child a cup with just a little bit of water, he will explode. No, I'm, but uh, you know, uh, sometimes we have in life, we have too much light or sometimes we have too much vessels or let's put it other way. Sometimes some, some people work a little bit, make a lot of money, other people, work very hard and make very little money. It's kind of like the vessel and the light. Um, but deeper into ourselves, we can call this passion versus process or stability, or we can call it chaos versus stability. So again, you, can, you have on one hand, you have uh, light, which can also be called passion, which can also be called chaos, as I'll explain in a moment. Or you can have on the other side, you have order, process and stability. So if you take a look in your in your book on page um, 87, and I'm going to share this on the screen, we have a couple of examples that can that can give you this idea. Um, okay. Light versus vessel, or as I'm also calling it, passion versus process, or chaos versus order. So you want to write a book. When you have a book, you have an idea. The idea is your light. That's your passion. But ideas that are not contained are chaotic, right? If you cannot put your ideas to words, to the vessel, you will not have a book, right? If you cannot contain your light, contain your passion, 
into a vessel, into a order, into a process, you will not have a book. Conversely, if you just have vessel, you just have words, but you don't have ideas in the words, right? So my son can come here and type on the keyboard. You'll have a lot of words. Let's say it's even spell, 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 auto spell check, auto spell correct. So he'll be typing, he'll automatically make up words for him, okay? Even if that's the case, um, you have a lot of vessel, you have a lot of process, very structured, but you will not have uh, any life. You will not have any idea. Let's take a look at this as it applies to music. You can have the emotion of the music, the passion, the feeling behind the music. But if you cannot write musical notes, nobody else can appreciate that music. Conversely, similar to a book, if you have lots of musical notes, but you don't have emotion in the music, nobody's going to listen to your song. Let's take it to business. If you have passion in your business, you have great vision and ideas and plans to change the world, but you don't have a business strategy, you have no way of accomplishing it, there's no orderly process in your company, then your great ideas are not going to do anything. I'm sure you've met people like this. And this is the one that I really like to focus on. These, these next three, these are the most important to our lives. Um, I'm sure you know people. They're always dreaming up of ideas. Uh, you, a lot of times you meet them, they're Uber drivers, right? They have lots of ideas. Or More particularly, uh, taxi drivers in Israel. If you go to Israel, right? They're, they have brilliant ideas. So why are they driving the taxi? Because they, they, they don't go with the strategy. Conversely, you can have a business which has a lot of process and order, but if they don't have a passionate visionary in the, in the company, it's never going to move forward. It's going to be static and ultimately it's going to fold. Let's take this in relationships. You can love someone dearly, love them so much, but if you don't have process, so you have passion, but if you don't have process, you don't have the order, you don't have stability, you don't do the five languages of love, let's say, right? You don't contain your love into day-to-day -day things. That, that passion is not going to get you very far. You say, dear, I love you. She'll say, yes, but when's the last time you, you did the dishes? When's the last time you took care of the kids? When's the last time you brought home money? But I love you. Well, you love your kids. Everybody loves their kids, right? But if you don't spend the time to raise your kids, they won't love you for very long get past age 10 or 11, even if you do take care of them, they may not love you, but that's another story. Uh, but <laughs> that's, at least that's what I uh, hear from others. Uh, and then they come around when they turn 20, you know, this was like a, there's like a range where they think uh, they're the smartest in the universe. Um, conversely, if you, have a, uh, if you have a passionless marriage, even if you do everything right, again, it may not be something lasting. Similarly, in religion, you can have the passion towards God, but if you don't anchor it in actions, it's, it's pretty much another type of relationship. If you don't anchor it in actions, what are the beliefs? What's the meaning behind the beliefs? Or conversely, if you have the rituals and customs, but you don't have the beliefs behind it, it's very dry and it's not going to last. So um, if you had a choice between light, passion, or vessels, process, which one would you pick? Or which one do you think you are? Or, you know, or do you know people that are one and not the other? Or are more of one and not the other? Or can you in your life relate to these ideas? Anybody wants to share anything? No? Okay. I just hope you're relating to this idea. There's the very passionate people in life. And there's the very processed people in life. 
Uh, I would say probably my friends that move out to the boondocks, uh, to the nowheres in the world are usually the more passionate people. You don't need a lot of process in those places. You need a lot of passion. Okay, so let's take a look. What is the advantage of being uh, passionate, of having lots of energy, lots of light? Uh, sorry, let me start. Sorry, let's start the other way around. What's the advantages of being very orderly? Lots of vessels, lots of process, lots of... Uh, so the advantage would obviously be everything has stability. The, the, the downside is, is that you lack growth. You're going to lack growth. But what, let's take a look. What are the advantages of the tohu model, which is also what I call chaotic, passionate, energy, light? What are the advantages? Obviously, they're dynamic, usually dynamic, passionate, ambitious, innovative. Uh, we know most of the greatest uh, inventors were, were, were crazy people. Anybody know a little bit about Einstein, right? What's the most famous picture? I'm sticking out his tongue. It's a little bit of a Meshuggahner, as we say, right? Usually the Meshuggahners, uh, many times they're the ones that change the world. But there's also a lot of Meshuggahners who don't. Why is that? Because the downside of passion is that nothing gets done because they, don't lack, they, they lack discipline. They're unstable. There are forces that are at odds. And there is a big downside to, um, to uh, the passionate people is that uh, they, they, they have a larger risk factor, let's say. They have a larger upside and a larger downside. The larger upside is they can push things farther. The larger downside is they're more likely to not get anything done. They're more likely to collapse. Or let's say it's a business. If you have a business, that lacks structure, has a lot of passion, it's more likely to not get anywhere. And even worse, sometimes when something has a lot of passion but no process, it can actually make everything worse. Um, in a company, they could take on a lot of debt, right? They have this idea, this grand plan they want to make. And then they take, you know, you've seen these companies where they had one idea, working fine. Then they had a passionate CEO, has a bigger idea, borrows lots of money, and now destroys the original business model. Or let's say in religion, if a religion that doesn't have a very tempered uh, actions, what they should do, we see there's been a lot of religions that have gone off the rails. Well, people complain about, uh, about uh, religions that have uh, killed others and destroyed others throughout, throughout the history. A lot of times it's due to a lot of passion and not a lot of process, not a lot of rigidity, not a lot of, uh, you know, what you're supposed to be doing each and every single day. We see this with kids, by the way. Kids that come to the school, the kids that can be the worst and the best are usually the same kids, right? If you treat, if you don't act with them the right way, they usually become the worst of the worst. If you can find a way to them, they become the best of the best. Again, it has the highest upside, but also the highest downside. Any thoughts? I'm sure you know people that are like this, right? Yes? No, so maybe so. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing is that the kids um, tend to grow up that way too. The ones that are, you know, hard to deal with as kids are usually hard to deal with as adults too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Dobbs, he never finished college, right? He was an interesting uh, character. Well, that's, that's a good example of the passion and the vessel. He had the passion and Tim Cook was the vessel. Tim Cook was the one that got things done. You know, they, they needed both of them. Exactly, exactly. 
And so that's really, as you said, that's really the balance of life. And this is where the idea that we're talking about today really comes into our life is truthfully, nobody has one without the other. It just depends what's dominant. Uh, do you have more passion or do you have more process? Do you have more light or more vessel? Yes. You got to unmute yourself. That's why Yaakov gave him two blessings. That's why he gave him first the blessing of the Mishamne Aretz ve Mital Shamayum You're getting, yes, yes, that is why he gave him two blessings, but we'll have to develop it further. Yes, you are correct. So, uh, any other questions? By the way, the other problem with passionate people is not only can they explode, but they also don't get along well with other passionate people. That's another problem because when you're very passionate, it kind of can expand. Uh, you take up all the space, so to speak. And so you meet someone else who's very passionate and it's very hard to get along. Uh, your example, Steve Jobs and Tim Cook could get along. You had passion and process. You have two passionate people. Uh, a lot of times it's difficult. That's why you actually find a lot of marriages is a mixture between passion and process. Uh, it's very interesting. Not always. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's always like that. Um, you also have a lot of times process and process, so to speak. Uh, but passion and passion, a couple like that is actually, I believe, probably the most rare combination of a marriage, not to say it doesn't exist. Um, so taking this idea more Kabbalistically, our sages say that when God created the world, he first created the world in the passion model. There was a lot of light, not so much vessel. There was uh, an extreme amount of giving, an extreme amount of light of God, but it says it didn't last. It blew up. It imploded because if you know the idea, there's the 10 spherot, the 10 emanations, the 10 attributes. They, they couldn't get along. Everything blew up. It was, it was too much light. You know, it was too much. Like I said, in, in the physical realm, I'm not going to explain it so spiritually, but just like in the physical realm, passionate people can't get along so well. The same thing happened in the spiritual realm and it all blew up. So God's original plan was to be giving a lot of light. He wanted there to be a lot of godliness, a lot of expression of godliness in the world, but it didn't work. Okay, God first created the spiritual world, a lot of godliness. It didn't work. It was too, too much passion in that world. And again, I'm not going to explain it too deeply. So it, it exploded. But that was God's original idea. That's what he wanted. Then he said, all right, let's restart. Let's create the world, the world that we have today, which has a lot of process, a lot of vessels where God is hidden in the world. So there's not a lot of light, there's a lot of vessels. There's a lot of stability to this world. Nature is very, uh, very stable. Our world is very, very stable, a lot, very process oriented. If you wanna find God, if you wanna find the light of God, you gotta search for him. He's there, but there's more vessel, more process, more stability, more orderly, orderliness than there is the chaotic, powerful light of God. But the ultimate goal is to bring passion into process. The ultimate goal that we have to do is to bring God, to bring the light of God as he did shine before into the process, similar to what Phil, great example, to kind of bring the Steve Jobs into the Tim Cook. That's God's ultimate goal. So first he started with lots of light. It wasn't very tame, didn't work. Then he started with process and he said, into process, I want there should be people that will bring in the passion. I, in the vessels, I want people should be to bring the light. And this was the personification of Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the one who was the dweller of the tents. He was the guy that was 
calm, tame, nice, orderly guy, got up in the morning and said hello to everybody. Esau was this wild man because Esau was the embodiment of passion of light that had gone wrong. In his deepest sense, he would be like that kid that walks into your class that you'd say, oh, there's a lot of potential here. He was the real deal. He was, uh, he was, he was passion, but he was passion. He was the light of God as it had already exploded, as it had already come out in a not good way, a little too passionate about himself. Let's put it that way. So he was passion, right? Um, Jacob did not have that passion. Read about him. He sounds like a boring guy. Honestly, he's this boring guy. He was, uh, uh, for most of his life, he was a shepherd. Pretty boring. He wasn't this wild man going out into the streets, hunting, killing, finding things. Esau had that unbounded energy. And that's what it means when the prophet says that there's these two kingdoms. There's passion and process, and they're always pushing at each other. Um, but this is why um, Jacob liked Esau. Sorry, Isaac liked Esau. Isaac liked Esau because he was looking at his potential. And this is the deeper meaning, by the way, very interesting. This is the deeper meaning of what it means that um, Isaac was blind. What does it mean that Isaac was blind? It's not, not very nice. And just to say because he was blind, he didn't know his kids. The deeper meaning is that he was blind to the realities on the ground. He was blind to the reality as we see it. He saw things in its root source. He saw things as they could be. He saw it in a very high potential. So he was blind to the reality on the ground. In his mind, he saw the great potential in Esau. But the problem that he missed and what he was missing was that down here on the ground, Esau would never become what he wanted him to become. So again, Isaac was not mistaken because he was foolish. Isaac, when it says that he liked the, the hunter man, it's not because of the food per se. He liked the passion that Esau embodied and he saw in his root source, Esau was the light of God per se as it had come down and exploded. For those who know about the fallen sparks, if you've ever learned about that concept, that's what it was. And But he was blind to the realities on the ground. And so this was Isaac's plan. This is how Isaac looked at it. He said, Jacob, he, he's a nice... Uh, spiritual guy. He, he'll, he'll do always the right thing. He'll study Torah. I'm going to give him the blessing of Abraham. He's. I was always planning on giving him the blessing of Abraham, but he did not believe that uh, Jacob would have the power to turn around this world. He did not believe that Jacob would have the power to take this world and transform it into godliness because he said he lacks the passion. He's too tame. He's too calm. He can't do it. He's just a simple guy. Yes, Esau right now is a bad guy. But if we can get to his energy, if we can get to his passion, maybe he, maybe he's the one that can take this physical world and elevate it. He's the one that can take the self-aggrandizing world, the self-focused world. He's the one with his passion can elevate it. That's like, um, let's take an example of a business, right? So um, this is kind of like Esau's plan. Let's say you have a business. You have a business that you have a lot of vision for. You pumped a lot of money in it, and it's starting to fail. It's starting to fail. So you have two opinions. One opinion will be, all right, let's cut back everything. Let's bring process into this company. Let's stabilize it. Then it'll start to work. That works most of the time. But other times, some companies, 
they say, no, we're not pumping in enough passion. We're not pumping in. We're not borrowing enough money. We're not going all out. We're not really living up to our vision. Let me throw in some more money into this company. Sometimes that works, but a lot of times the company goes under even worse than it would have before. That, but that idea is the embodiment of Isaac. He felt, yes, Esau's really bad, but let me give him blessings. And which blessing did he want to give him? He wanted to give him the blessing of the earth because he felt he would be the one that can elevate the earth. He would be the one with his passion. Ultimately, when it comes revealed, he will be the one that can uh, take this earth and really elevate it. Jacob, he was always going to be the Jewish people. He was always going to be uh, those who would study Torah, but maybe they wouldn't do mitzvahs like we do it today. You know, they'll, they'll be the, the nice spiritual guys. They, they, they study. Uh, let's say there'll be a nation of rabbis. Let's put it like that. Jacob was going to be a nation of rabbis. Uh, good for nothings. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, they'd be, uh, they'd, 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 they'd sit in a tent all day. How can they transform this world? But this is where Rebecca comes in. Rebecca says, it's not going to work. It, it's sinking and it's sinking fast. She, uh, more Kabbalistically, it says that maybe before good and bad became mixed, and I, I won't go down that path. But she says, the realities of today is, is that physicality cannot re redeem itself. Esau is too far gone to, to lift himself up. It, it, he's sunken too far. The only hope is, we have to have the elder serve the younger, as in the blessings. We have to have the elder be subservient to the younger. What does that mean? Is that we need to have a Jacob. We need to have someone who has process. And in his process, to bring passion. That's what it means the elder shall serve the younger. The goal is not just to be a Jacob. The goal is not just to be someone involved in sitting in a tent all day. The goal is to elevate the world. But where is the starting point? We have to start with process. You have to have those who study. And from there, bring in the Esau. Esau is supposed to be subservient to Jacob. In fact, we find something interesting. And I, I didn't bring this in the questions. It says, uh, after Jacob and Esau meet the last time, uh, Esau says, do you want me to accompany you on the trip? And Jacob says, no, uh, I'll come to you to Mount Seir. Now, Mount Seir is where Esau lived. He says, I'll come to you soon. And he never came to him. Okay, you look in the story. What's he lying again? Is Jacob lying? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come to you. This commentary, Rashi says, actually, what Jacob was saying is, I'll come to you. Sayer can also be a hint to Mashiach. He was saying, I'll come to you when Mashiach comes. So if you haven't learned today's class, you say, what does that mean? What do you mean? I'll come to you when Mashiach comes. But now, based upon what we're saying today, we understand the ultimate perfection of this dichotomy of Jacob and Esau will be fulfilled when Mashiach comes. The ultimate fusion of passion and process of light and vessel will be completed when Mashiach comes. And that's why Jacob says, I will come to you to Mount Seir. I'll come to you when the Mashiach reveals himself. Because that's the goal. The goal of what we're trying to accomplish today is we start with process. We have the religion, which has all the rules and regulations that the Torah gives us in the 613 commandments. But within that, we need to bring the passion. We need to bring the light. And we need to bring the light the way it was before. And that's really the ultimate goal. And so everything we're doing during the time of exile is, so to speak, to bringing the, the passion into process, trying to reveal godliness in the orderliness of this world. This world is very vessel heavy. When we do a mitzvah, when we do a physical mitzvah, we now have the ability to bring the light, the passion, the chaotic light, that spiritual light down here into this earth. And that's what our job is. And so... 
Ace, uh, what, what Isaac had in mind was two separate paths. And Rebecca said, it's never going to work. And so that's why she had to trick her husband, because it wasn't a debate of who's the better son. It was a debate of something that you would only know years down the line. Isaac had his opinion. Rebecca had her opinion. And so the only way Rebecca was going to convince Isaac out of it was by tricking him. Now, there's deeper meanings behind the tricking, but that's on the simplest level. The only way, because if it was just a matter of knowledge where Isaac thought Esau was the better son, so Rebecca come and tell him, well, guess what? Esau's a sinner. Esau does this. Esau does that. But now that we understand that it wasn't just a lack of knowledge, it was a totally different opinion of how things would play out in the future. So now we understand she couldn't just convince him, especially a person like Isaac. Isaac, a very, very brilliant person, one of our patriarchs. She had to trick him out of it. Um, so what does this mean in our lives? I don't know if I covered all the questions. At the end, maybe I'll show on the slideshow. So what does this mean in our lives? It means there's a couple lessons that we have. Um, the first thing is, is just in general, this idea of passion and process, which or, or chaotic energy and process, which plays out, forget about religion, it plays out in our life in many, many different ways. And we have to realize that there is always going to be these two sides and we have to play them both. You can't have one without the other. But on a deeper level, what this means is, uh, sometimes we get down about our passion for the physical world, um, about you know how our self is so passionate. And maybe we have to realize that maybe we should harness that passion instead of ignoring it, harness it. You know, the Kabbalists say that the actually the the godly soul is a more boring soul. Uh, he's very tame. He's like he's like Jacob. He's like the dweller of the tents. Your animal soul is more like the Esau. He's more like the wild person. You know, uh, I've never seen anybody uh, as excited for a Torah class as they are for a good steak or pick your favorite food. Right? The passion, the salivating tongue. Uh, people don't don't sit before a, a class and their tongue is salivating and they just can't wait there on spilkas till the class starts, right? Uh, we all have, we know that typically naturally, okay, hopefully you can bring that into your life, but naturally there's more passion in our physical life. And that's not a bad thing. What we have to do, what Hasidic philosophy says, is take the natural passion that we have and direct it to good because the passion is not inherently evil and it can be tamed. We have within ourselves both the Jacob and the Esau. We have the passion and we have the very process-oriented Jacob, the very holy, uh, simple. And we have to try and, and transform uh, those feelings. You know, it says, it's like, it's like those children. It's like those children, you know, the more wild children, they have the greater energy. And the same thing, each person within ourselves, the greater energy within us is actually our animal soul, our physical soul. And what we have to do is not shun it, but actually take its energy and channel it towards good, which is something that can be done and must be done and should be done. Um, and truthfully, um, that's why sometimes it's not a bad thing to have a uh, self-interest in the spiritual things that we do. Uh, it may not be the ultimate goal, but it's definitely a proper way to start. Um, if you can do something holy for the wrong purposes, okay you know if you're back in the day they used to blast everybody used to do that but you know it's it's if you're doing something 
uh, hopefully you don't ooze it to everybody else, you know, that, you know, you're full of ego. But if you can channel your ego to be egotistical about good things, then that's okay. They used to tell the story of uh, a certain chassid. He, he was known not to sin. So they asked him, how do you make sure you don't sin? He said, listen, I'm known as this famous uh, chassid, this righteous man. How can I sin? I'm so great. How can I be someone that can sin? I'm so special, right? Um, if we talk ourselves into that, then we can use that for good. You know, today in, in behavioral change, they talk about you not only have to change your behavior, but you have to have an identity shift to change your identity. And so sometimes using our identity is not a bad thing. It's like I said, if you came to last year's JLI course, Warrior to Warrior, um, I said we should be selfish for selfless reasons, right? I think that's one of the, the ideas I presented. Uh, although the goal is to be selfless, but I think in uh, who we are, we have to realize we should be self uh, selfish for selfless reasons. You know, the people that that don't think about themselves at all also usually don't get anything done. Oh, who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm a, I'm a nothing. And so what we learned today is, is, is take that Esau of yourself. Uh, it's chaotic and it needs to be reined in, but it also has a lot of power. So it's not that Isaac was completely wrong. Isaac was right. And actually the ultimate goal is the power of Esau. But the power of Esau has to be tamed by the power of Jacob. And that's why, by the way, um, Isaac was born first. Uh, sorry, Esau was born first because that's how cosmically it started. Cosmically, first, there was the world of a lot of light, the chaotic light, but that didn't work. So then came the world of Jacob, the world of tikkun, as we call it. Anybody here ever heard of the word tikkun olam? Tikkun olam, that's we live in the world of tikkun. Also, by the way, in the first words of the Torah, what does it say? The world was chaos. The world started chaos. You can see it in the Torah, how the world started with chaos. And then God brought the orderliness into chaos because chaos, as it was, was not sustainable. So, um, anything else? Ah, so I, I just want to bring out, someone asked me before, so what's better, uh, religious practice or feeling passionate about God, right? Good questions. Well, based on our uh, class today, I, I can't say either one is truly better. Uh, you have to have a fusion of, of both. That's the, that's, the, that's the goal. You have to make sure that you can have a fusion of the two, of both the religious practice and the passion. That's tohu and tikkun, the light and the vessel. We need to make sure we have both. I can't say one is greater than the other. Uh, we have to have the Jacob and Esau, uh, each and every single one of us, in each and every single one of our lives. Uh, any questions? No? Um, no questions? I'm surprised. Either it was all not understood or it was all very understood. Um, why is it that throughout the Torah, there's always this favoritism, this, this um, favoritism that goes on between one child and the other that ends up causing um, war and fighting? I mean, it just, like, you, you wouldn't favor one of your children. Well, I, I don't want to sue. Like, I don't understand how that's productive. Right. So I think as we presented today, you can understand why there's favoritism. Um, 
their favoritism is not, you know, when you think of it just on a physical level, you're like, why are they loving one over the other? And particularly when you think of uh, Jacob. Uh, but once you see the story, you realize their favoritism is not just they like one because of their, they like what they do. For example, uh, sorry, Isaac. Isaac did not like Jacob because he was the better son, because he wasn't the better son. In reality, in actual life, he wasn't the better son. In this case, his love for his uh, older son was rooted in a understanding of which spiritual path is going to be the better one. And so the favoritism was more of a spiritual bent. So in this case, it's better understood. As far as the other brothers, Joseph and his brothers, that's actually next week's class. Uh, <laughs> where we'll understand the cosmic debates between those brothers. So I guess what you get from here is that the, the favoritism is not just petty favoritism, but there was deep meaning behind it. So hopefully that helps you feel better about it. In other words, yes, these stories play out in a reality on this earth, but particularly you can see in the case of Isaac where he favored the worst son, in reality, they were favoring a certain mode of ser divine service over another. They had a, 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 they felt that this path was better than that path. And uh, that's why they did it. But if he thought that that, that path was better, and yeah. I know you explained it, but I'm still having a hard time connecting the dots, then why would he not make Esau the, you know, the father of the Jewish people, like the patriarch? Like you said, he was never intending on giving uh -oh. him that. You're, you're asking why. Okay, he was better. Okay, so it's difficult to explain. I, I explained it a little bit. He was better in a certain respect. He felt he would be the better one to elevate the physical world because of his passion. passion he thought, so to speak, fight passion with passion. The physical world is passionate. Esau has the potential to be very spiritually passionate, to fight passion with passion. Whereas Jacob was always very spiritually bent. He felt it's like what people say, Tzugat and light, if you know Yiddish, right? There's the godly person, the, 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 there's like the heavenly person, the earthly person, and he felt that Esau's earthly passion could also be of spiritual nature, possibly. Um, yeah, all right, let me throw up on the screen over here. I wrote down all the questions and answers just so, although really, again, the questions and answers today won't be as satisfying as the previous classes just because... Um, um, uh, just because uh, the, the actual concept that I shared today is much deeper than I shared it. If you want to get an idea, uh, if you have the student books, you can see the appendix. You can read it after the class, the additional readings <clears throat> where, it, where it writes the deeper mystical idea in full. Very hard to understand. So I didn't share its full depth. So really, I, I don't, I, I'm, I can't say I'm going to give you the most satisfying answers to all the questions. We answer them, but not, you know, you may still have questions on it, which is why I said, personally, I wouldn't have picked this topic just because of how deep it is. But at the same time, the lesson that it has is so important in our life, which is, uh, first of all, just in general, in our lives, this passion and process, this dichotomy, uh, which we fight with and struggle with every day, and which we see, the Torah says, is always going to be a battle in our lives, passion and process. And it's really hard, because some days we wake up with a real passion mindset, sometimes you wake up with process mindset, or if there's people you know, your relationships with other people, you meet people, hopefully you have a better appreciation for them. You may be a process, they may be passionate. 
hopefully you can better understand them and get along with them. I remember when I was younger, um, I used to be jealous of certain people. I probably still am, but I like to pretend it happened in the past. Uh, you know, my yeshiva days. And later on, I came to understanding that we're just very different people. These other people were very passionate people. Uh, that's just their nature. And I saw how they lacked process. Now there's some very talented people who really uh, merge the two. Um, but, um, you know, the ones who do it best are really like the Steve Jobs and Tim Cook, those who can merge the two and be able to uh, get both going together. So here are one of the questions. Why did Isaac, Isaac Fiverr Esau? He felt Esau's boundless chaotic energy would eventually revert to his holy state, which of course Rebecca disagreed with. What does it mean he loved Esau because he was a good hunter and why blessings required good food? Esau, the wild hunter, had passion energy and only that can take this world and make it into delicacies. So that's also the meaning of go out and find me delicacies. That was a hint to the idea that maybe Esau's energy in the future will make spiritual delicacies. Rebecca favored Jacob because she realized that practically Esau is never going to be what she wanted him to be. The meaning of Isaac's blindness is he was blind to the reality in this world. He saw things in a more higher dimension. And this is also a more beautiful way of looking at Isaac's blindness. He didn't, it's not that he didn't know who Esau was. It's a more spiritual blindness. Uh, why did Rebecca trick her husband? Isaac's opinion wasn't just not knowing his kids. It was a totally different opinion of how to get things done. You couldn't just convince him out of it. Uh, what is the meaning of the two kingdoms? The elder will serve the younger. It means that only through the younger, Jacob presents process of stability where the elder be elevated. If Jacob is good and he was to get the blessings, why wasn't he born first? Because passion and energy of Esau is greater, better, and the goal is just a shame that it's difficult to harness. And so we have to start with process. Finally, was Isaac going to give Esau the blessings to be the Jewish nation? No, it's clear from the verses not. Rather, he, he planned we Jews would be spiritual and Esau would refine the physical. But it doesn't really work. Uh, if you're coarse and physical, you don't really refine physical. Well, I think today they call them ex existentialists or something, people who are very focused just on themselves. Yeah. It's, it's so physical. what do they mean by elevate? What did he mean by elevate the world? Because I always thought that so the way we the elevate the world is through mitzvahs and, yeah. and, so and through process. And Yeah, so elevate the world is by bringing godliness into the world by, let's say, um, you take a brownie bar, you make a blessing on it. You take vodka. You don't drink it in a bar. You drink it for something holy. I mean, right. you can drink it in a bar for a holy reason, but I'm just saying uh, right. we take things and we elevate it. Uh, how Esau would have actually played out to elevate the physicality, I don't know how it would actually play out because it hasn't happened. Uh, but somehow his boundless energy would come revealed and uh, he would take the world by storm. So then why wouldn't they just... Um, see if anybody else has any questions. It wasn't, meant, it wasn't meant for Yitzchak to elevate this world from the get-go. Was it meant for Yitzchak? It wasn't. Oh, Yitzchak. Oh, Yitzchak himself. No, not for Yitzchak, for Esau. I'm sorry. Uh, for Esau. Well, uh, uh, Jacob's opinion... Um, it, well, it's interesting you ask that. If you look in text... Um, if you look in text number seven, and you won't understand it, but again, like I said, we can't get into it. If not for the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Esau would have had that role. But because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, in which the world is very mixed with the bad, therefore Esau did not have that role. Again, this is way beyond the class, and I don't want to confuse anybody, but in case you're interested, 
and you ask the question, that's in text number seven. But I want to hear from someone, you know, just a, a life lesson of something that we've uh, discussed today, because, um, you know, I, I'd say, let's say, put it, I, I'd say one beautiful lesson in your life, and it's in the back of the exercise for the week. When you start your work day, or when you're doing something for yourself, take a moment and say, yes, I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing the ESAL, but I'm doing it to serve a spiritual purpose. And that's the beautiful meaning of the verse. Jacob was a mixture. When he stole the blessings, he became a mixture. His hands felt like Esau, but his voice was still Jacob. And that's what we have to do in our lives. We have to act like Esau, have that selfish passion, but have the godly meaning behind it. And that's the beautiful meaning in that verse. When Esau, when Jacob had to hide and be like Esau, because really that's what he was going to do with those blessings. He was going to make a fusion and a merge of both Esau and Jacob. Yes. This, this class, I, in the beginning you said, I'm not sure how it's going to go, but, and I told you that the first two classes were really, really hard for me. Mm -hmm. This one from the beginning spoke to me because my father, Allah Vashalom, always told us when we ask him something about work and life, that's how I grew up. My father always told us that. Put them together. Put them together. Make a, make a fusion of both yeah. the East Alabama's and the Jacob's. Yeah. And conversely, by the way, as it says in the exercise, you can do it the other way around too. During your workday, you can steal a few minutes and, and pray and study, you know, bring a little spirituality into your into your workday and your weekday to make sure you recognize the spirituality within it. All right, anybody else? I want to hear from someone who hasn't said anything yet. Um, just something, or if you said, but not recently. Um, anything related? I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna stop the recording. Um,